So I actually think that Gambit is the best two-parter the show has done since Redemption. I, I agree with this. this it was a good. really good episode. This was, you know, if the first episode wasn't this deep, uh, you know, meaningful, big story. Um, so, I mean, in a way, the stakes were a little lower. They're not dealing with a galactic threat. They're not dealing, you know, with anything like that. You know, it's just Until a, the very end, I guess. Yeah, and, you know... What this episode is, it's more the first episode is setting up all of these different characters and they're, you know, having different agendas. And, you know, part two is about, all right, now that we've gotten that all set up, we're just going to throw everyone's agendas together and, you know, see all these schemes within schemes piling up on each other. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's surprising to me because it really uh, makes me wonder about the sort of – thought process behind the writing staff because <laughs> i read on a memory alpha that that uh ron moore who wrote this episode uh kind of felt like he was running out of steam and didn't really think a lot of it worked yeah. um but they had very high opinions of some episodes that i think did not work very well yeah yeah, yeah. so i'm kind of curious like what what exactly they thought they were doing i mean here. we could be wrong we could be wrong it's true uh maybe we're just it in, turns in, out that the alternative factor is like the finest episode not only of star trek but like of television and there's like all these really deep uh you know detailed theses on it yeah i i think that that the whole of gambit works really well and and you know one of the reasons why i think it works so well is that while none of it is groundbreaking and none of it like you said has very high stakes except for possibly the very yeah. end which is kind of comes out of nowhere and but you know like, all right but it all kind of it, it logically progresses. I think there's a lot of really nice character work, especially mm-hmm. in the first part, as we talked about last week. This one maybe less so, except for Data, perhaps, which we'll talk about. But it just hangs together really well, and it's very entertaining. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and frankly, that's all I'm looking for out of Star Trek sometimes. Exactly. Like you know, I like Caper, and you know, you know, stories like this again, where you know, and they really do keep you guessing till the end, who's got the upper hand, what is this going to be for, what are they using this for, and, you know, everybody, again, everybody has a secret in this episode. Uh, You can never really tell who's, you know, who knows what and who's, you know, playing each other. You know, the fact that you, this Vulcan, you know, she reveals that she's really a Vulcan, not a Romulan, and then it turns out she's not even really with the Vulcan. You know, it, right. it's, it's I liked that. Yeah, and, and and there's a certain level to which that that could sort of be a little too much, but I think it works well enough. But they, they just kind of they run with it again. They spend this first episode setting it up, and since this is done to such a degree, you know, it, it, it's it's well done. I like it. Well, and I think one of the reasons why it works so well is that I think a large reason why a lot of the two parters haven't worked. Um, probably since Redemption. I think Redemption also had some issues. I mean, mm-hmm. Sela is pretty uh, yeah, yeah, terrible, yeah. for instance. But I think that that on the whole, um, you know, the best of both worlds is kind of the gold standard for, for Star Trek two-parters, oh, yes. and everything has sort of been trying to live up to that. And what I like about Gambit is that it's very much a two-parter, which they seem to have gone in the complete opposite yeah, yeah, direction. Yeah. They seem to just kind of gone, okay, let's make it small. Let's not make it like this big thing. And they also have a through line on which to hang it on, which is the 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 mystery of why exactly they're looking for these artifacts. And so if they had problems with constructing stories around that, that's what they can always go back to. Yes. I feel like a lot of the issues with a lot of the other two-parters is they don't really have like a central story they're hanging anything on. It's just kind of like a bunch of shit that happens well well, descent i mean made no you know what was the point of that episode right you know that that was again 
I, I didn't get anything out of that. It wasn't, and it wasn't even entertaining. It was just painful to watch. This, if it's not deep, was entertaining. Yeah, it's 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 very very well done entertainment. Where I mean, I feel like we could talk, you know, and praise this. I don't think we really want to go in. I mean. I think it's kind of academic to go through and say, all right, who's lying to who at what point and, you know, trace that through. But, I mean, there's two really major parts of this episode that beyond the major plot of it that I thought were interesting. Number one is this weapon and how it's the most Star Trek ending yeah. that could possibly be. Yeah. And the other is what's going on with Data. So I think those are my main topics to talk about in this episode. Okay. So uh, which would we like to go first? Let's talk about Data first. Okay. Data is sorry he jeopardized his friendship with Worf, and that was just beautiful. I know. I like that they have friction, and I like that they settle it. Data is an awesome captain, and a, I, yeah. I wish that I wish that Brent Spiner were ageless so that we could get a Captain Data TV show. Okay. Because I really want to see more of Captain Data. Yeah. He's very decisive. He's very, you know... Uh, we, we we saw this earlier. Data will go, like, right to the brink of, like, too close in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and I like – I think that says a lot about him because, again, he's not human. He doesn't have as much of that fear. He will go as close to the line as possible, you know, while still protecting everybody. Yeah. Um, well, I think but, – but I think what's interesting about Data as a captain is that he's obviously learned yes. how to be a captain from watching Picard. Uh, I mean, he even does the little shirt tug, you know, which... which... Well, everybody does that. I yeah, think but Data's just... never done it before, which I okay. think is why it's important, right? Mm, fair. Uh, he also says make it so at one point. I mean, these are little sort of signifiers to yeah. tell you, okay, he's obviously watched Picard for a long time for, what, six, six and a half yeah, years yeah, at yeah. this point. So he's he's learned a lot about how to be a captain from Picard. And frankly... That's a good role model. Well, that, I mean, that in a way, any character who's found themselves in charge, and we're talking about when Troy's been in charge, when, you know, Crusher's been in charge, you know, they all act a little bit from Picard or they use Picard as their starting point, kind of. And then they, you know, the typical someone becomes captain arc in the series is they start off as Picard and then they kind of blend it with their normal personality. Sure. And, which I like, you know, because again, you could not do work better than a role model is Picard. He is one of the best captains, and they all respect him. He has a lot to teach them, but they also have enough of their own to offer that slavishly following Picard is not the idea as well. You yeah, know? and I and I think what, what Data has, which with other uh-huh. other people that we've seen in the, in the series have command other than Picard, is that uh, he can quickly calculate the odds of all kinds of different uh, strategies. Yeah. And make a decision very, very quickly. And he's and also be confident in that decision. He doesn't move. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily want to be, you know, undermined or anything like that because he's he's got it and you know it's not gonna change. But I like that the way he again, that was a hell of a dressing down that he gave Worf. And, you know, I think it's really interesting to see how Data is aware of both of the hats that he's uh wearing at that point. In that, you know, he knows that as the captain, what Worf is doing is completely inappropriate because yeah. especially for the type of captain that Data is, Worf isn't really giving him the respect that, you know, he ought to. But at the same time, he knows that, you know, he's in a very difficult position and he probably, you know, somebody else might have been. But I think it's interesting because how many times have we seen 
you know that that very thing happened with Picard and another member of his crew, right? Yeah. I mean, there you know a lot of Star Trek episodes. Probably each character at some point or another yeah. has had an episode where they go against orders or they go against uh, Starfleet. And Picard has to dress them down in the ready room. And then, of course, what Picard does is he he makes the official reprimand. And then, as they're leaving, calls them back and talks to them as a person. Yeah. And that's what Data does here. He does it in a very different way, of course, but he still does it. Yeah. And I really like that Worf kind of understands. I mean, you know, to be fair, Worf is the Klingon and he did, you know, he realizes he acted inappropriately and, you know, he wasn't doing well. And, you know, I think... I think this conversation and the fact that, you know, I get the sense from this conversation that Worf really respects Data even more after he says, you know, I hope this didn't you know, yeah. ruin the friendship because, you know, he knows that Data is 100% aware of what he risked by doing this. And yet, you know, his duty, his being the captain, that's kind of more important right now. And Worf out of everybody is the most built to kind of understand that, you know? I guess the question I'm left with then is why did Worf act like that? You know, I, I'm not – you know, it doesn't feel like it goes against his character, but – I don't think it goes against his character, but he would never have done that with Picard and he would never have done that with Riker. So, But also keep in mind Riker and Picard have, have been, you know, above Worf forever. You that's know, they, true. You know, Worf is – Worf's a buddy of his. I mean, you know, it's like – if you and I, if I suddenly found myself as captain, you know, you would be like, you know, who the fuck is this guy? You know, I guess, yeah, you know, he's on my level, you know, even though, you know, Worf and. Wait, why are you the captain? Why well, would I be the captain? Because I think it's easier for you to empathize with yourself in the situation mm-hmm. that it is with me. Okay. So let's say you're me and I've become the captain mm-hmm. and I'm you and I'm really pissed at you because you're the captain. Okay. All right, so, Richard, I think that you should, are a very bad captain. Take this man to the break. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess so. And I, I, think, I that, think it's simply that, you know, he's just someone on his level, you know, Data, you're ordering me around like this. Like, come on. But I guess also uh, the other factor, of course, is that this is a new role for Worf as well. Because yeah. he is the acting first officer. And this is something that he has never done before, mm-hmm. right, to my knowledge. So maybe on a Klingon ship he has, but but never on a Starfleet ship. Worf has always sort of had this tension, right, between being a Starfleet officer and being a, yeah. a, a Klingon. And... In some respects, he doesn't really fit in well in either one. You know, we've seen episodes where Worf has been on Klingon ships and has not fit in because he wants to do things in a more Starfleet way. And I think that when he's on the Enterprise, he definitely is in more of a mold of Starfleet. But at the same time, he's a little more willing to speak his mind. He's a little more willing to go against orders. You know, uh, one of the memes of Star Trek is always sort of these, you know, super cuts of people saying no to Worf. (laughs) You know, it happens, right? It happens a lot. And Worf is a character that I guess it makes sense that he would adopt this sort of attitude when he's put into a position where he's told you are first officer, you are my conscience. You should, you should tell, you should give me alternate uh, uh, strategies or alternate yeah. explanations or whatever, right? And so he doesn't necessarily... I mean, Worf is not someone who really stands on social ceremony, right? So I guess it makes sense that he would kind of just be yeah. a little brusque. Blunt, yeah. And But but when but you're right. When, when Data tells him that he's being inappropriate, he immediately backs down and he immediately says, you're right. Yeah. So I think that there's a, there's a nice... You know, Worf, Worf respects Data. I think Data respects Worf. And I think that the disagreement is not really 
about that in so much as it is about different understandings yeah. of what exactly it is that they're trying to do and how they should do it. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, they're, they're, they're yeah, their disagreement is not based on disrespect, but uh, frankly, it's a difficult argument for both of them because they respect each other so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And I also think the other thing that's interesting about Data as a captain, of course, is that he doesn't want to hear opinions. I mean, you know, they had a couple of scenes. I think there was one scene in Gambit Part 1 and one scene in Gambit Part 2 in the Observation Lounge where he's having a very Picard-style meeting. But he doesn't want to listen to them. I mean, and I think part of that is just, you know, I don't think it's anything to do with the fact that Data's trying to be dismissive. I think that he... He already knows what all the options are, yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah, yeah. and doesn't feel the need to explain himself. And I think that's really interesting because I think that Data could have a lot of... You can see how Data had a lot of trouble getting the respect of people yeah. when he was captain of that one ship in, in Redemption Part 2. But at the same time, I think how you could see that he could get over that. And I think you've yeah. kind of... This is kind of a Data a, a couple years later, maybe three years later, that has sort of learned some lessons from that. Well, and, you know, I'm, I think it, it almost seems like he's going in... Again, the, the normal... When Troy wasn't captain of the... Sh- you know, captain with Ensign Rowe you know, and all of that. You know, they were kind of questioning her and not really sure, you know, giving it... And then finally she had to, in a way, double down and get twice as tough because, you know, no, I'm making this this, this decision. Um, I think Data's kind of starting straight off the gate. Like, no, you know, you're not undermining me from the very beginning. Like, because he knows that he's in a fairly precarious position. You know, it was difficult enough when he was the captain of a random ship. Now he's yeah. the captain of the flagship. Data is full aware what being the captain of the Enterprise means. Yeah, um, and he doesn't want to fuck it up, frankly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, while he knows that nobody on the Enterprise is uh, – uh, 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 um, thinks less of his chances because he's an android, he knows that that's not really a factor here. He does still have a degree of inexperience, a certain degree of, you know, people are not used to his order. You know, so I think that maybe even – you know, maybe Dade does come down a little hard on Worf, but he also feels like, you know – in a way, if you think about it, Worf is the one who always, you know, someone comes on the ship and beats up Worf so you know how tough the alien yeah. is. You know, in a way, Data's dressing down Worf, one of his best friends, to say, like, no, look, I'm not even giving this guy slack. Like, you know, yeah. you, you have to follow me on this. Yeah, I actually think that's a really good point. Um, and I guess, you know, the, maybe the final thing to say about Data in this episode is is more to do with, with Brent Spiner. You know one of the things that I think, you know, we've always talked about, and I sort of hate when Brent Spiner gets an opportunity to sort of ham it up, but I think he doesn't get a lot of credit for playing data with different gradations, right? Because in this, he's sort of, when he's dressing Worf down, it's still the same sort of unemotional Mm -hmm. Android data, but there's a little bit of a hard edge to him, yeah. which is very subtle, and I think that's very difficult to pull off as an actor. And I think that Brent Spiner does a very good job with it, and he does a very good job in this entire episode. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's definitely playing a, a Data, which is in command, knows he's in command, and you know, Data always has this sort of—I don't want to say softness to him, but he's definitely not a hard character. And it's interesting to me that he can kind of pull that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has almost um, – I wouldn't say softness. Um, 
and naivete isn't it exactly either, but there is almost a youthfulness. It's kind of an openness. Yeah, it, it, youth, I, I, like, openness. I, I want to say childlike, which isn't quite it either, but there is a – in a lot of ways, every day is the first day for Data. Yeah, still. yeah. Still. Um, and – you know, every time he learns something, he's learning something completely outside of his experience for the first time. And so, you know, I would say that's more of, you know, data, one of Data's defining, you know, traits. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, but at the same time, when he needs to be, you know, okay, you know, in this episode, he turns from, you know, child mode to adult mode. Like, it's almost like flipping a switch in a way. Yeah, he can definitely do it. Yeah. I mean, he can do it on a When dime. he has to. Yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about the the weapon. I mean, it's so cheesy. It's a weapon of pure hatred that gets defeated when you think about peace. I mean, it's the biggest damn hippie thing ever, and I loved it. It fucking worked. No, like, it's great. It, it, it's like, all right, yes. What? How do you defeat you know the racist extremist with love? Like that is just hippie dippy Star Trek in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Well, and I, it's satisfying. No, it's it is satisfying. I think that, that there's a lot of ways that the artifacts could have gone wrong, you know. And I think that I like the fact that they they tie in Picard's interest in archaeology, and he's sort of able to figure it out, yeah. right? It's like, no, no, every it's like it reminds me of that that's you know the end scene in Ghostbusters where they're like empty your mind, and you yeah. know, then of course the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man comes. They could not have done that on this budget, but I, I like th- it. I think you're losing the thread of the metaphor here. No, I I've got it. Don't worry. And so, you know, it's interesting to me because Star Trek The Next Generation, I think, has has very pointedly stayed away from Vulcans a lot, right? Aside from sort of unification. And they don't talk about them. This is the first time they've ever visited Vulcan, I believe. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think that they have before. We have the proto-Vulcans. Yeah, the proto-Vulcans, but that was a different thing. And so they're finally sort of, I guess willing or comfortable with revealing more information about the Vulcans that we've never learned before. Like, for example, I think this is the first episode which actually says that the Vulcans were a founding member of the Federation. Okay. That was never a thing before. It was always sort of assumed, but it wasn't, you know, known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, frankly, it gives us a little bit more insight into what exactly the Vulcans were like, you know, pre-Sirac. Yeah. And what they were like after. And I like that this picks up on a bunch of stuff that... You know, has been dealt with, but not re- as in, you know, we the second the Romulans were, you know, brought on in the original series, it was, well, they were, you know, a race of, you know, they were an offshoot of Vulcans. And this is, I think, you know, one of the most obvious things they can do, a Vulcan disguised as a Romulan or vice versa. Right. You know, th- that, that reveal was such a shock, but in a way, it's also so obvious. You know, I'm surprised they hadn't done it before. Did you pick up on that? No, I didn't. That's interesting. Because, but in a way which, you know, in hindsight, yeah, it made sense. But, I mean, going through... Well, I... They, they, they drop a couple clues. Yeah. That, you know, because she uses the word logical a couple yes, times. Yes, of course. So that's a big give. Yeah. And also, I think just the fact of the matter is she doesn't really seem like a Romulan. No, but at the same time, she's also spending the entire time kind of picking at the schemes. You know, she's... There's the... There was that one scene where she's talking to, you know, Picard, and she's like, but, you know, I don't know whose side you're on. You're either on his side or, you know, you're either very smart or very stupid. And and she's, like, talking out the scheme, and that felt very Romulan to me, as in, you know, as a Romulan, as a born schemer, she would be 
that's what she would do. That's how, you know, how a Romulan would think when they realize there's a scheme going around. All right, I got to figure out who's doing, you know, like, so things like that, again, in hindsight, you know, yeah, she did use logic a little too much, but they, there was enough to distract from it. And, you know, I think I was also, with her, you're spent asking, well, is she trying to mutiny against the captain or, or not? Right. You know, what is, she, whose agenda is, who is she loyal to? And so you're really too busy thinking about that question to even wonder, you know, question the Romulanness of her in a way. Yeah, no, that's I think you're right. That's how it worked for me. I guess that's true, and I think that's that's kind of one of the strengths of the episode. It's very fast-moving, and there's a lot going on, and there's a lot to keep track yeah. of. You know, there's a lot of different new characters that we don't really know. You know, there's this whole plot line with Data. There's the whole plot line with Riker. There's the whole plot line with Picard slash Galen. Yeah. You know, the whole plot line with the Romulan Vulcan. Uh, and then the whole thing about the artifacts. I mean, it's very stuff, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel overwhelming. Well, again, giving it two episodes allows it more time to breathe. You can spend a little more time. You know, if this had to be crammed into one episode, you know, it would be it would be a mess. They would have to prune so much. But we can have time with a few random scenes of these characters. You know, just so we have enough time to question. All right, we know who this person is, but are they really who they say they? You know, right? If, if if this had been in one episode, she would have been revealed as a Vulcan one scene in, you know, right. wouldn't even have time to be shocking. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So what what do you make of this whole sort of Vulcan isolationist movement? I It makes sense that it would be a thing. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense that it would be a thing the show doesn't just doesn't agree with. Yeah. You know, there are always... Again, we're seeing the show go against the limits of uh, um, every time you have, you know, this is one of those sci-fi cliches that Star Trek has always done. Everybody on a planet is has the same personality. You right. Know? Every Vulcan it has the same personality for the most part. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say the same personality. No, but, I would but say they have the same traits. They, they have. Yeah. And certain traits, certain ways of being, certain philosophies, you know. Yeah. We've been told the entire time. About the Vulcan philosophy, and as if it's one, as if everybody on this planet has a core of beliefs that's exactly the same. And this is a more realistic saying, well, no, that's not the case. You have people who believe just as much in logic and, you know, probably do have the same appreciation for the arts and math and science and beauty that the Vulcans do. But at the same time, they also have certain ideas that are as anti-Vulcan as possible. Again, you know, she makes the point extremists have a logic all their own, you know. Yeah. Well, they do. And, you know, I like that. I like that it makes Vulcans seem a lot more complex because – and more realistic and more how a planet would actually be. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's only so far you can take that, of course, of course because, you know, unless you're really – making a television show about one alien planet and you get to sort of have yeah, seasons yeah, yeah. and seasons to sort of flesh out the 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 culture and society of one planet it it's it's a shortcut you know it's yeah. the 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 planets in star trek are basically stand-ins for for nations you know yeah, and, of course. and and of course you know vulcan as well has a little more room to do that because we've known about Vulcan for 30 years, you know? Yeah, there's there's much less room to do that with other alien species and especially alien species that we only see like in one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that what I like about the the sort of isolationist movement in this episode is that it it comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't necessarily seem uh, unrealistic, and it also works because we've also seen that there are other elements in Vulcan society that yeah. are interested in other things that perhaps the Vulcan government is not. I mean, we have 
Spock, who is probably one of the most famous yeah, yeah, yeah. Vulcans in the galaxy, uh, trying to reunify with the Romulans. That doesn't necessarily seem like something that the Vulcan government would be that interested yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. There's people like, you know, again, Spock and his people who are... are almost missionaries in a way then you have people again who are the extreme isolationists probably the average vulcan on the street is just fine and happy likes being in the federation but you know the vulcans might be a little too far you know they did sorry the romulans might be a little too far for us but you know something we're not going to go to war with them either you know we're just yeah. let, you know it's logical to just live and let live like that may be the you know average philosophy and then of course the isolationists are an extreme of that and also frankly i think it makes sense that you know, we, we get to see what Vulcans were like before yeah. logic, you know, and it's not pretty, no. you know, and they've always sort of intimated that, but they've never come right out and say it, yeah. said it before in this way or showed it in this way. And so the kind of society that would construct a weapon like this is pretty horrible. Yeah. Although I don't know, it, it just seemed like a thought gun. It was like it was bad, but not like you know the nuclear bomb but at the same time we don't really know what the experience of dying from this thing was like i mean i kind of got the impression that it was pretty horrible oh yeah i mean that didn't seem like they were having a good time as they were dying no so if you're you're using some sort of psychic weapon against people you know maybe it's like running through your head and just like showing you all the bad things you've ever done in your life and people that have died that you've loved and all your fears and you know your nightmares and then you just die well that's what happens every night when i close my eyes Oh, that's sad. I will give uh, Gambit Part 2 eight resonators. Ooh, eight inators. There you go. All right, let's talk about Phantasms. So, oh my God, Phantasms is probably going to be in my top of this show. I f- okay. fucking loved this episode. Um, I I liked it. I'm lukewarm on it. Okay, Um in terms of it had some really funny parts and some really creepy parts it wasn't you know the nightmare imagery i didn't think was overdone and it was an interesting plot to me i'm not a big fan of dream sequences okay i find them tedious 95 percent of the time yeah and I, I i that's a thing I know. this was really no different from that uh you know, that's only my personal bias, and so I can't really just say, throw up my hands and say, I didn't like it because I don't like dream sequences, the, the end. Yeah, the thing the thing but, with dream sequences is, you know, you see Troy with her body as a cake, and if you think that's cool to watch, then, you know, as I did, then that's cool to watch. You know, if you don't get anything out of that, then yeah, this episode is going to be largely lost. I'm not a big fan of surrealism, Okay, so for me, it's not that interesting. Well, like I said, I, but, liked, I liked the degree to which they did. It wasn't done to a ludicrous degree you know a lot of times surrealism gets you know pushed beyond the boundaries of taste i didn't think that was the case here like how i don't know i thought again i thought everything that they showed was cool not ridiculous okay i guess so i mean i did kind of like crusher drinking out of Riker's that was head that like was, it was a malt. yeah that was a little strange yeah i mean i guess you know the dream sequences obviously uh have a purpose you know, they're they're giving us clues and they're giving data clues and they're sort of repeating these motifs over and over again in his nightmares. A because typical Brandon Braga set piece, yeah. Right, because of these sort of alien things that are whatever they're doing. I mean, it's, you know, again, in, I like it. Well, in some ways, it's a typical Brandon Braga episode and in other ways, it's a little different because he doesn't do a lot with character, I don't feel. A lot of the time. But in this episode, I feel like he does. There's a lot of stuff in here about data. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in here 
kind of about Picard and not wanting to go to this banquet or whatever. You know, in a way, it's weird because it's a it's a kind of a horrifying episode that's also funny. That, well, th- I, I lo- that's one of the things I liked about it. The scenes, the comedy scenes were very funny in a series that, again, has always had difficulties doing comedy. And the creepy scenes were very creepy. And I thought that the fact that from one scene to another it changes made it a very effective episode. You know, it was a very unsettling episode in that way. I think so, but I think that that it's kind of weird because I think Phantasms is a little bit of a hangout episode. Like, there's nothing really going on, and most of the characters are not engaged in what is going on. You know, Picard is mostly interested in in trying to weasel his way out of this banquet. Jordy is mostly interested in rebuffing the advances of Ensign Tyler, uh, which I don't know why he would be, because, you know, he likes women. Um, Uh And it's all kind of fine and it's all kind of funny. I mean, I didn't really think the Jordy plot was really all that interesting and it wasn't really that funny. It was just kind of go anywhere. Yeah, it was just kind of like character beats, which were all right, I guess. But for me, you know, the meat of the episode, of course, is Data and and Data's dreams and nightmares. And I guess I guess for me, this is an incarnation of Data that I really like. This is closest. You know, this is an episode which definitely sees Data as a consciousness that grew and um, as his humanity as things that he, you know, again, as, as an emergent behavior, you know, Troy very specifically, you know, said, you know, they, he, in his talkings, Troy about his nightmares, you know, Troy is very clear that, you know, you don't know you're becoming more human. And it's very clear that this is something again, which has developed, you know, and he says, you know, well, I may just oversleep sometimes because, you know, that's how the program is, you know, and, you know, I I like that notion of data as this. This is not a version of data that has an emotion chip or, you know, that has a morality switch. No, this is an integral data that has uh, 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 has an organic consciousness. Well, I agree and disagree with that a little bit because, you know, you mentioned that he oversleeps. But what they say in the episode is that maybe the dream program was programmed to make him oversleep. But they also leave that ambiguous. So it's kind of like, you know, I mean... It, it it's problematic for me in that yeah. sense because I don't I mean you seem to get a bit more ambiguity in what's going on than I do okay. and I and I don't I don't think that that reading is justified in the episode you know because what they say in the episode yeah. is very straightforward this is all part of his programming and maybe his programming is going wacky again and maybe he's programmed to oversleep and this that and the other thing and yes there are some bits in the episode which indicate that data perhaps is more of an organic in quotes because yeah not, you yeah, know yeah. what i mean um intelligence than they have thought in the past troy seems to think that so because troy seems yeah. to think that he may be developing some neuroses <laughs> i would say yeah if this is the first time she's said you know this is one of the first times he's coming to her as you know as, as a patient therapist and you know it's at this point she says no now we need to start you know going through therapy you know that that's a He's earned, you know, he, he's become human enough, yeah, again, to have neuroses, to not be able to understand his programming and to want to desire to understand it more. And because he's now resembling even more and more human every day, you know, now, now really he, to understand it, he does need to go beyond science into the realm of uh, psychology. But I guess the question is, is human psychology really the best fit for him? Yes, because he wants to be human, and that's the way he wants to pattern his mind. 
psychology isn't about patterning your mind so much as it. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not certain branches of it are though. I mean, they're about you know rethinking your you know your mental state. You know, but uh, they're but they're based... like a cognitive behavioral therapist is not going to be well. Your brain is you know it's going to be more about how to change well, sure, behaviors. but there's a starting point in cog- cognitive behavioral therapy, which is that you are a human and you have a human psychology. So. If you want to repattern your brain based on human psychology when you're a human, okay. Data's not a human. No. He doesn't have a human psychology. He doesn't have a human intelligence. He is a machine. And yes, he is an emergent he is an emergent AI and he can grow and he can learn and he can change, but I just don't buy that Troy as a as a human trained psychologist would be able to help him. Well, let me let me counter this by saying again number 1 Data wants to be human, and Data is very close to a human. And so what? I mean, wait, I could, wait, wait, I could let send me, my let me, dog to a therapist, but, let me but he's not going to help him. It's also the fact that, you know, but but you have to think that uh, Troy is you know doesn't just talk to humans. She talks to Vulcans. She'll talk to you know. She talks to Worf. I mean, you know, she tailors her style for whatever person is really in her office at that point. So maybe she doesn't you know. So she, you know, yeah, she can't completely use human psychology on data, but neither can she use completely Klingon psychology, you know. But she—that's a good a starting point as any, really. And given that, you know, g- given that data acts mostly human, at least outwardly, in a lot of ways, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, yeah, but I, but I, I have a couple <clears throat> of problems with that. Number one is that you know, yeah, Troy went to interspecies psychology school or whatever, right? And that's fine. Yeah. So I understand that, you know, Vulcans have psychologists, Klingons have psychologists, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they're all fucking each other, whatever. <laughs> and so that's understood. And she there's a, there's a body of work. There's sort of a school of thought there. She can learn that. But with Data, that's not true. He is one of a kind or maybe two of a kind if you think lore is similar to him. But psychologists have never really studied data have never really studied lore we don't really they don't have a good understanding of how data's positronic brain works and majority even says as much in the episode and so while data has been programmed at least initially by dr soong to act human that doesn't mean that he thinks like a human yeah but and i don't believe that human psychology is going to help him well, what will help him? I don't know. Well, and that's and that's where I think the episode sort of falls down a little bit because it falls into this trap of, you know, we have to think of Data as a person, but at the same time showing how different he is from a person. You know, uh, they plug Data into the holodeck so that Picard and Geordi can walk around in his dreams. Yeah. no. Uh, he sleeps in his clothes. Like, he sleeps in his uniform. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's things like this. I mean, obviously, like, yes, he... he we know that data is a person and i don't think that it's i don't think that it it lessens him as a character or as an individual to say that just because he's a person doesn't mean that he has to think like a human no i i guess it's a case of you know any the implication is that data is as in the dark with anybody whether it's a scientist whether it's a psychologist because he is such a unique case he is more than just the sum of his programming but he is also different than a human. So yeah, there's nobody who has, you know, he, they're they're flying blind. And I guess it's a case of, well, maybe somebody who knows him very well and does have psychological training is, if not the best 
choice in the ga- in the universe may be the best choice for right now and the most effective choice and, you know, somebody who will help Data to, you know, because I, I believe that either way, Troy is going to very specifically tailor her to what will make Data the happiest. And, I mean, I think as long as she practices her craft responsibly, it's not like it's, he's going to be hurt by this. No, I don't think he's going to be hurt by it. But I, and I also think that 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 is true. I mean, I'm not really responding to to what's going on in the episode as much as I'm responding uh, responding to to your assertion that you know Data thinks like a human. I, I don't think he does, and I don't think there's any way that 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 could be true. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I again maybe I, I I don't think I said he acts like a human, but he or he. I don't know. He's closer to it. Then that's what he's trying to approach. That's always been his goal. That's always been what he's trying. Yeah, to that's do. his goal. But I don't think that. But he. I guess this episode is saying he's closer. If he hasn't quite reached his goal, and he never will, he's at least striving for it, and he's made steps. And this episode is confirming that he's made steps. I guess to me, it's more of a, a discomfort that I've always had with Data's goal to become human, because. To me, Data is not a human and is very different from a human. And so his whole quest to become human almost strikes me as a little childish or immature. Okay. You know, I, I, I don't see what benefit there is to that. And I don't see why he would really want that. Now, if he wants it, that's fine. But to me, it's kind of like he thinks differently than, than, than a human would. He has a different sort of mind. He has a different sort of, of, of psyche. And so what would be more valuable is to really kind of study that to understand it and to because you know the federation and starfleet's entire mission is to seek out new life and new civilizations well data is new life well maybe and that's that might be some of the tension of the data character then maybe i mean i i think that's interesting that's where you're pulling that and that's kind of a different interpretation of that theme than i have but i i think that's what that is okay um i still don't know how they either way i don't know how they're still letting data on the ship now because what has he done he's like taken over the ship so many times he sold the federation out for the borg and now he stabbed the goddamn counselor not only stabbed her but repeatedly stabbed her. i was gonna say got her very seriously injured now you know yeah that's true and i think that the episode (sighs) I think there's a there's a degree to which, you know, the show has always told us that data doesn't have emotions. And I think that we've had conversations about that ad nauseum. Yeah. And those conversations will be coming to an end soon because we will be ending with the next generation in the next few weeks. But what what will really change things is that in this episode, there's a lot of conversations about data psyche and there's a lot of conversations about data having neuroses and there's a lot of conversations about data hallucinating, you know? And, and maybe what's really happening here is that the characters on the show, the, the crew members of the enterprise are kind of filtering what data is doing and what data is telling them through their own experiences and their own knowledge. Hmm. That's something people do. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with any of that. And I think that that, you know, Data obviously is okay with that because he kind of, 
lives among humans and has to interact. If they with call them. it a hallucination or a neurosis, if it isn't exactly the same thing, it's again close enough. It's a good enough metaphor. It's you know, it's in the ballpark. Yeah, because I'm kind of not really convinced that Data is even having dreams in the same way that we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because he has different emotions than we do. I think. And so there's a lot of what Data is doing, which is not exactly a one-for-one analogy. And I'm not saying I have a problem with it. I mean, you know, Vulcans are different from humans and Klingons are different from humans and all the alien races are different from humans in some respects. But, you know, the show kind of goes, this, this episode in particular is going down a road, which is sort of like painting Data into a corner that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Well, I mean, I guess we should talk about the Freud things because... okay. I mean, the Freud sequence definitely makes it clear that Data is not dreaming in the same way a human does. Now, a lot of this episode is refuting Freudian psychology, you know, in a very kind of comedic way. But uh, Okay, well, how? Well, because at the the very last line is, sometimes a cake is just a cake, you know? I, I mean, I, I think that is a punchline which says, you know, look, this this branch of psychology, this is not how the world works. You can't always think that way you know not everything represents something like that you know just well and, and whatever and, i mean and, and i mean it's a it's a it's a flippant way of doing that you know and i wouldn't say this is a serious critique of freudianism no but, but i mean but it's not really uh, uh outside of the 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 scope of what's going on in psychology i mean freud yeah, has been exactly. completely discredited so yes, but yeah so i mean i i would say i mean the or it's certainly finding it very limited again the scene where he's in freud's office and he's talking about this dream and saying, well, this represents your mother and this is your sex drive. And he's saying, I don't have a mother. I don't have a sex drive. Like that would be a very traditional interpretation of this dream. Right. And which in this case is traditional in, in, in yeah, Freudianism. Well, tra- yeah. 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 Um, which is not appropriate for data for number one. That's not what this dream at all is about. Right. And because it's situations which don't affect his psyche. If data has a psyche, you know, in other words, Freudian psychology is based on certain kind of stages of the human experience or, you know, the human reacts in certain ways be based on these certain kinds of trauma, things like that. Which have been pretty much proven not to exist. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, number one, even if that were the case, they wouldn't affect data in that same way. Data would have a very different psyche, which would affect him differently. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Freud stuff is is entertaining and I, I like those scenes. You know, I think that there's two things going on there, of course. Number one is that uh, Data is on the holodeck interacting with a, 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 a facsimile of Freud. Yeah. It's not really Freud. And, you know, the, the holographic Freud probably doesn't understand that Data is not a person. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it, it's kind of... I like it for two reasons. Number one, it's it is very entertaining. But number, it is what Data would do. Yeah, like Data would go, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to go see Freud on the holodeck. I mean, it, it it's funny because this is just a this is another extension of WebMD. Obviously, you know, yeah. I mean, there's there's Eliza was one of the first chatbots, you know, which was supposed to replicate a right psychiatrist section. And so, or hell, go back to uh, the season two episode, the outrageous Econo, where you know Data is interacting with Joe Piscopo on the holodeck to find out how to be funny. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what Data does. You know, he doesn't really. I think one of the interesting things about Data is that he has friends on the Enterprise, but he doesn't ever go to them. Maybe because they haven't been helpful in the past. I don't know what the reason is, but he seems much more interested. And this is interesting. He seems much more comfortable interacting with 
holographic artificial intelligences than he does with his own real hmm. people. So maybe Moriarty would be the best therapist for. Uh... But what does that say about his psyche then? No, it. it, it I mean, that's that's it's his, complicated. That's his first instinct is to go talk to the computer instead of his real friends. Yeah, but at the same time, you also think about, um, you know, you're 15 and dealing with the problem. You'll talk to your idiot 15-year-old friend rather than, you know, your parent who can solve it, you know? But I don't, don't dodge the, the question, though. That says something about how Data Yeah, thinks. no, he identifies with that. Yeah, again, Data is Data's a complex case. He's more than a robot and different from a human. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe then the question isn't just is – then, then I think it's good for him to talk to Troy as one of – as another avenue of exploration rather than his only. In other words, maybe the way to – for Data to achieve wholeness is to have both a human and an, and an AI therapist. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. maybe he needs Troy and Freud. Or maybe not Freud. But well, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, because I think that that Data has always been the character that likes to interact with, you know, real people. You know, I mean, yeah. he does this over and over again. And and it's funny because we get to see Data interact with famous people throughout history. And it's interesting to watch and it's all kind of fun. But at the end of the day, I think what that really indicates is that Data doesn't have much of an imagination. I mean, you know, like most people, I think wouldn't go to the holodeck and talk to Freud. But I think that data does because he doesn't necessarily have the imagination to just tell the computer to create himself a holographic therapist without having it be like a real person. Do you know what I mean? I I also think about the fact that, you know, when he was playing poker with uh, Isaac Newton, Stephen Hawking and uh, Albert Einstein, you know, in a way, because he has the holodeck, Data doesn't need to fuck around, you know, you know, you don't need to get, you know, if you're going to find, you know, a scientist to play poker with, you get the smartest scientist who ever lived. If you're going to get a psychologist, we'll get the father of psychology, if you can, rather than just someone off the street. Like, this guy invented it, you know? I think that's kind of how Data's thought process works, rather than, you know, a lack of imagination. Again, you can... That could be. You could see the best... You can either see the best doctor who invented this surgery, or you could see somebody who learned it from a book. I suppose so. And I guess, you know, maybe maybe the, the, the final thought I have about this is, you know, for, for Data, maybe there really is no difference between the holographic representations of these people and the real people. And and maybe he's more comfortable with them. I don't know. But in a sense, then, what he's doing is kind of... I don't know if he's retraining himself or he's just sort of gaining a different perspective on things based on how the computer is going to engender these people or whatever. I don't know that I'm making a whole lot of sense. Yeah, but I don't know if I can follow you. It's just... Uh, Data has always been a character which is very comfortable interacting with everybody. I mean, he doesn't have a he he's not uncomfortable ever, right? And and what I'm what I'm thinking is sort of that Data interacts with Freud not because he wants to learn from the best, but rather he's externalizing his own thought process in a way. Hmm. Like this is not really him 
interacting with Freud so much as it is as it is him thinking about Freud and thinking about what Freud would say. So maybe for Data, it's kind of instructive to establish this sort of holodeck program, not because he needs help, although he does, but because he's inside of his head a lot and it's well, kind it, of instructive to have this sort of like interactive I was gonna say, conversation it's, with himself. It's a way, I mean, obviously it's a proxy for the audience to, uh, I, 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 it's in a way a symbolic scene of data looking, you know, and reading every book on psychology oh, sure, that's yeah. ever been published. And so, you know, so there's some of that too, you know, he's, he's going that old school that he's starting with Freud rather than, you know, trying to, but in, in a way he's building it from first principles. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess so. And I guess, you know, aside from the data stuff, uh, you know, in, in phantasms, you know, do, do the do the aliens represent anything, or are they just sort of like Brian Braga's yeah, twist I mean, alien ending? Like, is that it? It's you know, we, we could make symbolic. It's about consumption writ large, and you know, but I, at the end of the day, does it really matter? It's sometimes a creepy sucking mouth. You know, sometimes a bloody orifice that sucks the life out of you. You know, is not representative of your mother. It's just you know. Well, and and you know, I think the last time we had talked about a Brian and Braga episode, you had sort of said that you thought that maybe you could see how his episodes were, yeah. were diminishing returns. But this one I like just because. But I, again, I can see why you didn't like it. Right, but do you? I guess my question is. Are you continuing down the path of thinking that Braga episodes have diminishing returns, or are you back to saying, yes, okay, I'm with Brennan Braga again? You know, I don't know. I liked this episode. I think I have to make a case-by-case basis now. Okay, fair enough. Maybe we'll see some patterns later on. I loved when he was giving his cat to war. That was the, again, no, Data fucking has emotions. You tell him he's a pretty cat and a good cat. And, you know, he's just terrified and so sad to leave his little cat because he's worried he's going to hurt his his best friend. Yeah, yeah. Felix Catus. Yeah, and I guess... That scene is played for laughs, but I don't think it's that funny. It's 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 a I mean, on the one hand, it's funny because he's going, you know, as elaborate as possible. And he, you know, it's almost like a little kid, you know, giving up his pet. Like, you know, when when I'm dog sitting your dog, you're just like, all right, you know, give him food, you know, make sure you water. You know this, right? You know, so he's, you know, doing all this to Worf and Worf, who is, you know, the least fuzzy person on this ship and probably doesn't love cats, you know, and, you know, he reluctantly agrees to feed him because Worf is not going to tell him he's a good boy and, you know, Worf is not going to tell him he's pretty, you know, and that, you know, it's funny in that and, but yeah, at the same time, it's, again, this is coming right off of Data worried that he and Worf were going to lose their friendship, you know, and... This is who we, you know, they still have this, you know, this is kind of a very strong demonstration that they still feel, you know, exactly the same about each other because, you know, Data's trusting to Worf, someone he's, you know, really cares for, and Worf is taking on a responsibility he doesn't want to. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. I will give Phantasms five cakes. Eight slices of cake. Okay. Well, if you have thoughts about this episode or recipes, please leave a comment on the post at trekaboutshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. 
and leave us a positive iTunes review. On iTunes. On iTunes. That is the best way to get new people to follow the show. Next week, we are talking about Dark Page and Attached. 